It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Man, I'm, so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, man. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it every night about it. A real C's fan wouldn't want to live their life without it. Banner 18 in the making, we gotta make it. Best squad in the East and still we can't get complacent. Most winning franchise, so the history's ancient. You can tell the mother guys are going plan a vacation. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King Locked on, trying to get the 18th ring The most in-depth coverage that you ever gonna hear Well-respected in a city like Russell's career It's raining Jays Welcome back, this is the Locked On Celtics podcast We are the Raining Jays I am John Corrales of MassLive.com Joined by Samuel Jamison Packard III After a 111-103 loss to the Phoenix Suns a disappointing loss, to say the least. Fans booing at one point during this game. And uh, just a, just not a, a result that we anticipated. I thought this was going to go differently, but then again, a lot of things happened here that we didn't expect coming into the game. Just a few numbers to get us started. Kyrie Irving led the Celtics 29 points, 10 assists on 10 of 19 shooting. He was 4 of 8 from 3. The... Suns were led by Devin Booker with 25, but really the mo- the monster damage was done by DeAndre Ayton, who had 23 points and 18 rebounds. So, Jam, I guess the first thing we need to talk about is Aaron Baines. So the Celtics stormed out to a lead. They were up uh, 11-2 after an Aaron Baines dunk. But at that point, when Phoenix called a timeout, Aaron Baines went back to the locker room, didn't really know what happened. We saw him get hit in the hand, and it turns out he's got a broken hand. He's out for a month. We, we found that out within two minutes. Shams tweeted it out in a spooky quick amount of time, probably with time remaining in the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, that was like, that caught everybody was, by surprise. He was in the x-ray room. I, unbelievable. Like, he must have been. Like, he must have administered the x-ray, read the x-ray, tweeted it out, and then given Aaron Baines the news. But it had a huge impact on this game. I mean, really, everything turned. They, I thought, like they, they came out and it was awesome. And like I said, the run was eleven to two. They looked great, and then everything changed. So without Baines, like I said, DeAndre Ayton was just a beast, and they just couldn't stop him. Eighteen rebounds, eight of them offensive rebounds. When you're playing. Robert Williams, when you're playing Daniel Tice, those guys are just not strong guys. And that that really hurt their defensive rebounding. Uh, the Celtics gave up how many offensive rebounds on the night? 21 offensive rebounds. That's almost as many defensive rebounds as the Celtics had, which is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous number. Celtics got out-rebounded 56-37. to Yeah, it, it and not having Mook in the game as well, just the entire team was smaller, and so... Uh, on the defensive end, you bring in Tice, and he is um, like he's just not a like a big physical guy. It's just, just something Stool Greeny pointed out. He's a tipper. He tips rebounds. He's yeah. not going to be a guy who goes out and grab him. So he's probably like a, a 
the more solid offensive player, but you're going to give up something to DeAndre Aiden uh, with Tyson in the game. And then on the flip side, you put Robert Williams in the game. I mean, he's still insane on defense, another five blocks tonight, but he can't do anything on offense. He pretty much, they play directly off of him. They entirely clogged the lane. And so it's kind of a, I guess it's an understandable loss. No, like, if I had known going into the game that uh, Mook wouldn't play and Aaron Baines would only play two minutes, I could have seen a path forward for the Suns winning this game. It makes more sense to me. It's a more understandable loss, uh, at least in my book. Well, this is the fourth Suns win in a row. Brad Stevens went out of his way in practice uh, on Tuesday and now after the game and before the game to say the Suns are playing well, they're playing fast, they're, he even used the word dominating. The, the Suns, I guess post-Trevor Ariza leaving, they have kind of put things together and are playing well. I don't know how, much, how long it's going to last, but when young teams get this momentum and they get confidence, they can go on a stretch like this. So they were always going to be dangerous coming into this game. The Celtics really, when you look at it, they could have used Al Horford. They could have used Marcus Morris. They could have used Aaron Baines the whole game. They, they were basically missing, what, four rotation players in this. Uh, that, that hurts their chances a lot. You still think, though, that they could beat the Suns. They just, the Suns have, uh, their, their, their length. And like I said, Aiton is a big, big guy. When he came out for warmups earlier, I was, I just happened to be walking by some people in the stands. They're like, that is a giant human being. The people, yeah. he's a big, big guy. Uh, and he's not the type of big that stretches the floor that people want in today's NBA, but he's, I guess, uh, this nod to the past where you can just get in there and, and just be strong and grab rebounds and, and just too much for the Celtics. Williams, we saw this like against Detroit. Williams and Tice are just not going to be able to bang with guys like Drummond or Ayton. They just don't have it in them to do that. And, and Williams defensively just still gets caught out of position. And as, as great as the blocks are, there are times when he can be picked on defensively. They went, they went after him with Ayton, which I was just like, you think about uh, Robert Williams, and you just think of his rim protection, you wouldn't think like posting up would be the best idea, but Aiden has the skill um, and the size to do that. And, I mean, Robert Williams is clearly a much better rim protector than Tyson. He still made an impact in this game and still made it more difficult, but Aiden went right after him. And then 10 offensive boards, I like, that's just crippling. You you get the, basically, you end the possession, and then you give the Suns uh, another chance. I actually, like, the Celtics' other, like, they did pretty good on defense tonight. They were generating a lot of turnovers. Uh, they scored 28 points off Suns turnovers, turned them over uh, 17 times, a lot more in the first half. Uh, but so I thought the Celtics did a decent job uh, on that, and the Suns didn't shoot that uh, great of a percentage, 42%. Celtics actually were better than them. Um, but it's just the the Celtics uh, the, themselves started turning the ball over, but then if you're getting killed, 21 offensive rebounds, it's just it's impossible to give up that many possessions back. This is what happens, like, exactly, the possessions right there. The, the difference in this, when you're looking at the, all the offensive rebounds, the difference shows up in the field goal attempts. The Celtics shot 44, almost 45%. They shot 38.5% from three. They shot 85% from the line. They got 14 free throws. They They weren't crazy outshot 
uh, at the free throw line. The difference in this game is the offensive rebounds, which gave Phoenix 11 more field goal attempts. And it was the second chance points that did the Celtics in. The Suns had 20 second chance points. The Celtics had 13. Uh, and the points in the paint, 44 for the Suns. Celtics had 34. So you grab rebounds, you go back up with them, increase the points in the paint, increases your field goal attempts. 96 field goal attempts. They hit 41 shots, but that's three more than the Celtics hit. And that's really the difference in the game. Plus, when you're giving up those offensive rebounds, there's a tendency to foul, which they did, and the Suns got six more points at the line. I mean, that's your difference in the game. It was an eight-point win. They had six more points from the field, six more, uh, sorry, three more field goals. So six more points there and six more points at the line. There's your difference in the game. So you can't, if you can't box out, if you can't rebound, or you get muscled around and you just don't have the personnel to rebound, this is the difference between winning and losing. Even against the Suns team. Look, it's an NBA team. They're young, they're talented, they're bad very often, but they've got a lot of talented guys. If they put it together and play hard, which Igor Kokoshkov has them playing hard, this is what happens in situations when you just are so dominated in one aspect of the game. Turns out size matters in basketball. Yes. That means you, you lose your, your burliest man and uh, Mook who's not playing. You basically go to uh, two wiry individuals at the five and they, um, it's like clearly, it's, it's pretty obvious. That's why I'm less concerned about the game. I still think the Celtics um, had a pretty good offense, which we'll talk about on the other side of these messages. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? John Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. I like how Jam just took over and 
led us into that last break. Hey, I'm a trained radio professional. That I was know it. how to I know how to go into a break. I can hit a post. You <laughs> You read what the defense was giving you. The play called for a pass, but you took it to the hole. That's it. Sometimes you got to read and react. Let's talk about Marcus Morris. Yeah, we're back <laughs> on the Raining Jays. Marcus Morris out. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do this. We're going to one-up each other like that. Uh, yeah, so how many times on this podcast have I said, when the Celtics get stuck, Marcus Morris' season has come in to bail them out. When things have started to go bad, Marcus Morris is the guy that would either take a smaller guy into the post or take a mismatch on the perimeter and either set him up for a, a step back or get it to the rim. He has been a steadying force, not just the solid guy, but when the Celtics needed someone to get a bucket, he's a guy who got buckets. In the second quarter, Phoenix went on a 25-7 to run. At some point in that run, had Marcus Morris been out there, I guarantee you he would have been able to hit some shots, something to stop that momentum. And just having Marcus Morris in a situation, even if everything else went the same, even if Aaron Baines went out with two minutes in with a broken hand, I think that changes the complexion of the game tremendously because, as he likes to say, he is a matchup problem. And when there's Tice, I mean, Brad Stevens was forced to play Tice and, and uh, Williams kind of in a offense-defense role and couldn't stay with one guy out there for extended periods of time where if you he could have gone small with Marcus Morris out there and presented a matchup problem for Phoenix, and they wouldn't know how to guard that. And even though the offense wasn't bad, the percentages and all that weren't bad, there still were opportunities to score out there, and he would have been, a, I think, a difference maker. Yeah, he's been the Mr. Consistency for the team all year, and they really struggled um, to score points with the second unit. Basically, when Kyrie Irving was on the game, I thought Kyrie um, had a pretty damn good game, just classic uh, Kyrie, 29 points. Also, 10 assists. He had six assists in the first quarter. He's a big reason why they um, jumped out to that early lead. But when he's not in the game and the, the kind of facilitation falls to either Hayward or um, Rozier right now, it's just not... It's not great. They Hayward has a does a frustrating thing where he calls for a pick and then comes around it and then doesn't really do anything. Like mm-hmm. he does, he doesn't turn downhill as much as I like him. And Terry just doesn't have the best vision. Like there's been times where he just misses people who are uh, wide open. And so I thought the Celtics' offense was all right tonight. Like they had a a number of different guys in double figures, but um, I think with Robert, like with basically Aiton, just parked himself in the paint. Um, especially with Robert Williams in the game, um, you have to like cling to Tice a little bit because he might be able to shoot. But Robert, Will- I mean, Aiton was just in the paint and basically clogged up all driving lanes. Um, and the Celtics got sloppy with their passing, trying to like figure out to, uh, oh. what to do with it. And in the first quarter, some of their sloppy passing actually like worked out for them, and they like had some cool uh, possessions. But they ended up with 16 turnovers, which is never good. Um, and it just there's nothing crisp late. No, not crisp at all. They were flinging passes around pretty recklessly. Just at people's feet. Just through, like driving in and just like not knowing what to do and just like throwing it at people's feet. Yeah. I, I think the the loss of Baines hurt really did hurt them offensively, like you said, because it, it did allow Aiton to park himself in the lane. And we saw that in the fourth quarter where Kyrie couldn't take over the way he normally takes over because it, every time he drove 
Aiton was there, and you could see at some points Kyrie would even drive and just say, nope, I'm not even going to try to put a shot up. The shots that he put up were somewhat ridiculous. He did get to the line, but he, it's that presence, that big beast of a human being in there blocking shots where no one's able to draw him out. Again, if Marcus Morris is on the floor in that situation, okay, defensively you don't have somebody that could guard Aiton and you have to figure out, double-team him somehow. But at the same time, what does he do defensively if Marcus Morris is on the floor? It's it's trading baskets, uh, potentially. It just would have changed. It would have just changed how the game ended. The Celtics got close. In that fourth quarter, they got it down to five. Five. And they had opportunities time and time again. It was it was seven points with six minutes left. It was six points uh, about a minute later. They they just kept. They had opportunities. If Marcus Morris is on the floor there, and he's just got some tendonitis in his right knee. And he didn't seem like it was a big deal. He's not going to go get an MRI. He's not going to go get anything. He just, I think it was just a rest day for him. Um, if he's in there and drawing Aiton away from the basket, then Kyrie can go and do Kyrie things. So the, the ripple effect, even if Morris isn't the guy hitting the shots, allowing Kyrie to do what Kyrie normally does, that's a big difference. And it shows you how important every little aspect of who you play with is Kyrie can be awesome on, on some days, but if he doesn't have the right personnel around him, it's kind of hard. Yeah, you also, we haven't even mentioned Al Horford, who I would hope comes back for the game against the Milwaukee Bucks, but he would do the exact same thing. And you could put Morris in the corner in that per, uh, opportunity as just a guy who can shoot. I mean, Marcus Smart, for as good as he is, um, when he's on the floor finishing games with a Daniel Tice or with a Robert Williams, that's two basically non-three-point shooters, um, two guys you can help off of. And I mean, we didn't really see Tatum able to do anything late. Uh, Terry Rozier made some nice threes, a nice step back, uh, kind of some reckless threes, but it was just uh, <laughs> they really had to work to get open shots, and it wasn't just it was, it was very hard to do anything because they're so used to playing this like five-out system and pick-and-pop. And when you could just drop on everything, I just think the Celtics weren't ready for that adjustment. And then the Suns played way harder than they did. Yeah, they really did. They they worked their asses off. Uh, not great games either. From when you lose players, you really need everybody to step up. Gordon Hayward did some decent things, but not a great game overall. Uh, Ten points, five rebounds, four assists, uh, turnover. A couple of blocks. I mean, a lot of players were blocking shots. They had crazy blocks. They had 15 blocks. That's that's ridiculous for a Celtics team. But 3 of 8 for Hayward. Rozier did have those threes. He was 4 of 8 from 3, 4 of 11 overall. And Jalen Brown, who got the start tonight instead of Marcus Morris, had uh, was 3 of 9, 6 points, a minus 3 overall. And that, to me, is a very surprising night from Jalen Brown because I made a note right away. His first, early on, he scored the seventh point in that 11-2 run. And then he scored the ninth point in that 11-2 run. The seventh point was a drive to the basket. And then he got a baseline uh, jumper that was pure. And I thought, look, he goes to the basket. It's the exact formula. Go to the basket, get an easy shot, hit that next jumper, and now Jalen's going to start rolling. He only hit one more shot after that played 23 and a half minutes and looked terrible. His three-point shooting 
some of those shots that he took weren't even close. Yeah, in the second half, he kind of looked to be in his own head. He only played seven minutes in the second half, scored all six points in the first half, and basically in his second half consisted of two missed threes very badly and a turnover. And then he just wasn't a factor for the rest of the game. And it's just, uh, you can sense it. Um, they let they let us sit downstairs today so you can get a new, <laughs> new glimpse on the game, a new perspective, and you can kind of sense like Jalen's confidence with each shot. And in, in the second half, it just felt like he was... There was one play who basically was like a, a, a mini fast break and he was down on the right corner and he caught it. And instead of just like getting into his jump shot, he kind of just wait. He had too much time and it's like, you want Jalen reacting. You don't want him thinking. Yeah. Yep. That it's just another same story, same story for uh, Jalen Brown. And at some point he's going to have to snap out of it. At some point he's going to have to learn how to get out of his own head and let those things just roll off his back. Missed shots are going to happen. Missed shots are part of the game. Nobody hits 100% of the shots, but Jalen Brown struggled from three and just took himself out of the game, essentially, it feels like anyway. Um, Rozier, we already mentioned Rozier. I think he is who he is. This is the player that that he is. Yeah, that was a Terry Rozier game. It was a perfect Rozier game, like kind of slow, slow to start, some big threes at the end. Uh, he's just never going to be able to hit that that those passes that he's going to that we want him to hit. Not maybe not never, but it that's really the next part of his uh, progression. Like he's he's just got to figure out how to get that vision, and maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. It's just like the type of thing that's like Marcus Smart's clearly born with, and Terry Rozier's clearly not. Like. You see right. daylight like that, Marcus Smart will find the guy, and right now Rozier's not finding the guy. A couple of last notes before we hit the tweets. Kelly Oubre. Oh, we should have known Kelly Oubre revenge game. He had to leave the terrible, terrible, horrible uh, influence that is John Wall and the Wizards and come back uh, because the Brooks... The Wizards are the ones who messed up the Brooks trade, I'm pretty sure. Yes. And so without that... They wouldn't have, uh, Uber wouldn't have ended up on the Suns to come would have back. Been in and Memphis. Have his he only scored 13 points tonight, four of tw- uh, 12, but I thought he had, he had a huge run. He had big shots. He had a five point run uh, by himself. The Celtics came back. Um, I think they went on a 7 0 run coming out of a timeout. And then they just went, uh, pick and roll, Booker with Aiton, swung it to Ubre. The first time he dunked over, uh, basically took Tatum baseline, dunked, and the next time he shot right over and made a three. Yep. He had big shots. And I thought Josh Jackson, um, had a great night. Like, he made me say, wow and damn a few times just mm-hmm. range jump shots that I didn't know Josh Jackson could hit I just thought the Suns bench um, didn't take too much of a like they, they they continued playing hard and the quality of play did not really fall they didn't miss like uh, Aiton and Booker when they were on the bench I thought yeah. Rashawn Holmes yeah, had a nice game as well um, less on the stat sheet but still got a decent number of boards and I don't know I just thought they were much better than the Celtics role players tonight yeah and it's funny because the Celtics bench outscored the Phoenix bench, 34-33. But the Celtics bench played a lot more. Everybody, you had Williams, Hayward, Rozier, and Tice all play 20-plus minutes. Holmes and, and Jamal Crawford played 15, 16 minutes each. So the Celtics were pressed into service. Shemi Ojale, only 12 and a half minutes. He didn't look good. Minus 13. Yeah, that was bad. So, you know, well, that's just like well, he's thrust into a position like that with other role players, and he's expected to create more. Like that's not, it's not that's his not thing. his game. And he's just like you need. Shemi is obviously going to look better playing with better players, but he needs to be someone they sag off of who can take open threes, not someone who's taking someone off the dribble. You know, it makes you wonder if 
Brad Stevens should have maybe started Shemi Ojale. I think he wanted to go with Jalen Brown because of the athleticism, because Phoenix is is a fast team full of thoroughbreds, and you want to be able to run with them. That's why when Baines broke his hand, it was Robert Williams who came in. I think he just wanted the horses to run with those guys. But I just wonder if keeping Jalen and and Hayward together would have been a better idea. And now that I think about it, I should have probably asked Brad Stevens about that. Uh, and if uh, Shemi Ojale, because he plays better with better players, would have been a better option in, in that starting role for Marcus Morris. But, uh, I mean, right now, it's all in the past. Ojale, not a great game. You know what they say, when you're, when you're down with a, bun- a bunch of injuries, it's not the starting unit that's going to suffer. It's, it's those bench guys because they're, you're really end of bench guys are getting a lot more minutes, and that's where you really start to feel it. So, Ojale still, I mean, still a work in progress. I mean, still a second-year player, but uh, just not much from him. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with your tweets, Rain and Jays and Rain and Junk, and Jam's Junk Drawer before we wrap it up from the garden here on the Rain and Jays podcast. During games, we encourage people to tweet at us using the hashtag Rain and Jays. And afterwards, we like to read a few of them and react, get your answers to your questions, or react to your comments. So let's start with at Prof Chop. Losing Baines to a broken hand is really tough. Hope he heals for the playoffs. Silver lining minutes for Time Lord. Can he have a year like Tatum did last season? Well, first, Baines... Is Shams in his very quick diagnosis at a yeah. month? It's, I mean, it's a broken bone, which Brad Stevens said he saw the, he saw the X-ray and he could see the break, so pretty obvious. But they're going to have the surgery, which is going to probably help the recovery time. Broken bone is always what four to six weeks. It's his non-shooting hand. Baines will make it three weeks. Yeah, so I, he'll be back definitely before the All Star break. He'll be back in mid January. So that's the hope. As far as yeah, minutes for the Time Lord can have, I don't I don't think he's going to have a year like Tatum did last season because it it's hard to compare. It's not even fair I think to compare a talented offensive wing to a raw defensive center who is being asked to his his big thing is catching the lobs, rolling hard and blocking shots, but he's also being asked to learn these pick and roll coverages which He's too young, too raw to know. And now, if Milwaukee, right now you're salivating at the fact that you get to attack this kid in pick and rolls, and they're really going to put him through some paces. It's going to be interesting to see how he reacts, but it's going to be tough. And I just don't think we're going to see that kind of season from him statistically. I, I mean, he might. If the same impact is putting up five blocks a game, he might do that. Mm. If especially if he's going to get more time, but he's just that one play on the offensive end where he caught it with basically like a free free run to the hoop and was just there was no way he was putting the ball on the floor. He's clearly just not. He's a very very good defensive player. Can guy man the guy loves jumping. He's a very good uh, protector of the rim, but he is just not going to make an impact on offense. Yeah, yeah, and he's he can have an impact if he. If he is rolling hard, 
and, and catching those lobs and being a threat, then that does have gravity that pulls in help and that allows shots to open up on the outside. There is value to that. At the same time, uh, what's, he, what's he taking away on the defensive end besides the blocks? The blocks are obviously awesome. The threat of a block is obviously awesome. It definitely helps. It prevents some guys getting in the lane. But like I said, there are ways to expose him. So it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be the same exact thing. So that's that at Robert Denton. Uh, that's not the kind of crazy I wanted from Smarf late game. Uh, he jacked up a three. Like getting like a yelling match with uh, Devin Booker and just fouled him like 45 feet away from the yeah, basket. Yeah, he seemed frustrated. Um, he took it out. There's one note that I wanted to just bring up. And I, I don't know if this is right or not, but the uh, so the NBA with their official uh, officials, they have a, a a list of basically G League officials who they think are good enough to get a shot in the NBA. And every once in a while, they'll put one with a couple of veteran officials, and they'll work a game. Tonight, we got one of those officials, number seventy-eight, Evan Scott. I bring it up. Because a lot of times these go unnoticed. People don't even realize. I had no idea. Right. The reason I noticed it, and I didn't know coming into the game that was going to be the case, Kyrie was spent an inordinate amount of time talking to him, more time than he ever spends t- talking to a ref. And it just looked odd. And so I looked up who he was, and Marcus Smart spent an inordinate, inordinate amount of time talking to the same ref and I've, I saw just, I think, I don't know if it was a preoccupation, but I noticed that the Celtics, a few Celtics were talking to him and really getting into him a little bit. And I, obviously when you're playing and you know the officials, you know who the officials are and you know this is a new guy. And when they see a new guy and they're not getting the calls, they're going to get in on the new guy and they're going to give him shit. So I feel like on top of all the frustration that was out there, I feel like there might have been some frustration with a new official out there who may have missed some calls or may have may not understand some of the, for lack of a better term, nuance of calling an NBA game. So I hope that that ref listens to the podcast and is like devastated that we <laughs> killed their first performance in the NBA. I don't. I don't even pay attention sometimes to like the officials what, what they call, but they, the the three pointer. That crucial three-point foul. That's a he. Marcus Smart. Who did he foul? Was it uh, Jackson? Warren. Jackson or Warren? T.J. Warren was sneaky. Uh, Twenty-one points. Yeah, that was a sneaky game from him. Uh, so the shot was away, and then Marcus Smart hit his arm. And the argument is, once the shot's away and you didn't impact the shot, is that really a foul? And from what I saw on Twitter with Brian Scalabrini, I think Brian Scalabrini was arguing that it wasn't a foul. Marcus Smart clearly hit him. And, but now the question is, once that ball's in the air and it's gone and you hit the guy in the arm and he falls, is that a no call or is that a foul call? That's a, that's a, that's a judicial discretion call where it's the letter of the law. You have to let him land, but... A more seasoned ref would probably, in that moment, be more comfortable saying, 
let's let that fly because it really had no impact on the shot. And that's, that's like that's like the spirit of the law. If you're calling, if you're calling that he didn't give the guy the space to land, which is a rule in the NBA and an emphasis in the NBA, that's one thing. But he didn't. He specifically made the gesture that you hit his arm. And Marcus Smart really was not happy with that call. Um, I don't know. It's a, cr- a critical call in this game, but as I always say, if it gets down to a critical call, there's probably 10 other things you could have done to not make that critical call critical. So, but I, my point of bringing up the official, not to complain about the officiating, but to just add to the frustration I think that I think some of the Celtics were feeling. I definitely feel like they were feeling some frustration out there, and that might have been one of the places where they, they felt it. Continuing on with the hashtag Rain and Jays at Dat Hennessy. Easily one of the most frustrating Celtics teams I can ever remember watching. So much talent, and right when you think they figured it out, they come out and lay another egg. Won't be surprised if we see some action before the trade deadline. Strong disagree. Yeah. I I mean, I Celtics Twitter, ride or die, T, like fan base, gets very upset with every loss. Like I said earlier, I think this is a kind of understandable given the circumstances. I'm not too worried. They're missing four guys. I don't think it's a need for to trade anyone. Like Al Horford has been uh, the key for this team for his entire time he's been here, and he's not playing. I think he's a totally dynamic player. He changes the entire offense, so I don't know. It's just people need to realize the situation and not freak out. As much. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a bad loss. It is, it's it's not it's not great. It would have been a, a really bad loss if they were at full strength and they lost to the Suns. But considering everything, considering the the Baines injury, uh, it's not it's not inconceivable to think. Okay, they, look how shorthanded they are, and they lost. Uh, I like I'm not going to sit there and excuse it away. They still had opportunities to win this game, and they should have won this game. They had opportunities late in the game to hit shots, and they just didn't hit shots. And guys who could have played a lot better didn't play well. But all that said, yeah, there are injuries. Yeah, they're at full strength. The Celtics are a different team. But on top of everything, to continue answering this tweet, do not expect Danny Ainge to make panic trades because of these wins and losses. That is not what Ainge does. That's what the Wizards do. That's why they trade Kelly Oubre for Trevor, Trevor Ariza, a 23-year-old kid, with upside, and even if you're not going to re-sign him, try to get something more than a 33-year-old that's going to be gone at the end of the year when you're struggling to make a playoff spot. The Wizards make panic trades to do things besides win long-term. The Wizards, other teams do that. Danny Ainge is not going to make a move that he doesn't think benefits the Celtics long-term. So we got to get that out of our heads, man. It's just Danny Ainge is not going to go and make Everyone a panic deal. Everyone just needs deal. to cool out. Yeah, man. It's one game. <laughs> Horford will be back on Friday. Not reporting that. Just a guess. <laughs> um, not a reporter. Um, but uh, Mook will be back. It will be a good game against the Bucks. People need to chill out. Yeah. If they be, if they go out and beat the Bucks, then this is a game that becomes a little bit forgettable. Well, i got to think of more uh, Simpsons-related content for Brooke Lopez. Yes. Yes. That's a good one. He did say he was on the, the low, low post. post. So he's a big Disney guy. 
as I well. I knew that. The Lopez twins are all frequently go to the Disney World or Disneyland. Yeah. See, I'm not a Disney guy, so I can't, like, I don't know. Yeah, but we'll, we'll stick to what we stick know. To <laughs> don't, don't veer out of your lane. At Jones, at John Jezeraj, Jonathan Jezeraj. Watching Tatum repeatedly get abused by Kelly Oubre was not fun. Yeah, I mentioned that sequence. Uh, not good. Yeah. Kelly Oubre, man, he uh, was blowing kisses to the crowd, uh, seemed to enjoy getting booed. Yeah, that's, um, I don't like that. Uh, I don't know, man. I, 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 I was typing, man, he looks better in a son's uniform. He's less annoying. And then he drew a ridiculous charge on Tyson's just like, Kelly fucking Oubre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's end it on the burger, not burger. Sports optimism will tell us to appreciate Kyrie's 10 assists tonight. Love the effort he's giving this year on both sides of the ball. Here, here for sports optimism. Yeah, I like I, it. And I agree. Kyrie's been good on both sides of the ball. He's, he's doing a lot on defense. He's doing a lot more than any of us expected on defense. And no one's going to sit there and pretend that he's an all-NBA, uh, all-defense all uh, candidate. But you, you have to look at what he's doing and appreciate the defensive effort. He's playing... He's playing okay defense. That's it. It's okay. It's good sometimes. Sometimes it's not so good, but mostly it's good. All right. Transitioning to the reigning junk. Uh, this is from David Flint at Follow Flint. The Suns are to the Celtics what uh, Miami is to the Patriots. Which oh. is kind of like a, a – I was joking around, so I started the, the today in Reno, and people were like, why did you rush back to the Celtics game? And I said uh, – Celtic Sun is fascinating. They had the crazy Tyler Eulis uh, shot, uh, I think, two years ago. Yep. Devin Booker scoring 70. The crazy comeback earlier. It's a wild matchup. And so yep. I had to rush back. Um, but tonight wasn't that exciting. No. It's just a generic loss. Just a generic loss. <laughs> but it's, it's a fair point, though. You want to know how, how um, not exciting tonight was? This uh, is from Tusher Patel, Tush Bagoosh. Is this halftime show now sponsored by Alvin and the Chipmunks? I don't know exactly what that means, but it allows me to bring up the halftime show, which was just the Celtics dance team, which means they couldn't book anyone, which means no one was really – there was no high energy in tonight for the Celtics game. No, no. So he's, he's talking about the halftime, like halftime entertainment here at the game? Uh, I guess so. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, was, went to, I went to trying to get some Cracker Jacks. Yeah. But for people who don't know, a little inside baseball, when halftime rolls around – the assembled media basically evacuates our area and goes back into the media room to try and get some of the snacks. There's like a rack of snacks back there that if you're not if you're not there quickly, they're gonna go. Oh yeah, chocolate goes quickly. Oh, chocolate people go nuts for chocolate. I've seen people on the floor for chocolate. I got a granola bar today, which is Ooh, a nice treat. Nice. Um, all right, moving on to my junk drawer. Um, Brad being coy with naming who the fifth starter was. Like, he has to come out and normally submit a roster where he circles the five players who's starting. He submitted that active roster, but did not circle the fifth guy. Very much being game-time decision. I like that. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I, we were down below uh, in the loge section. Caught a glimpse of Mike Zarens. It's still cool that he wears the old 80s, like, satin yeah. jacket at, for every game. I just uh, It's a cool move. Um, terrible Kid Picasso drawing tonight of Terry Rozier. Oh! God, oh my it god! Horrible. It was that kid should be embarrassed. Are you? I was embarrassed for him. It looked like <laughs> Daniel Tice. The only thing that was identifiable was an earring, which I could barely see. Um, but it was bad. Um, <laughs> speaking of Josh uh, Jackson, 
Remember when he just made Danny Ainge and Mike Zarin fly across the entire country? <laughs> that's right. And then they're just like, no, I'm not going to work out? Yeah. What a bold move. Do you the, think that's awkward for them now? Like, Yeah. Hey, hey Josh, how's it going? Hey. Hey, you guys. Hey. Uh, yeah, how about, about that thing? I mean, yeah. that's, that's t- like, they flew entirely across country, but, uh, Josh Jackson had a, a decent game. Um, Wick Grossbeck, owner of the Celtics, was on the podcast. He officially endorsed, uh, the Time Lord nickname. Not on the podcast, on the broadcast. The broadcast, not on the podcast. I wish he was on the podcast. Because uh, a bunch of people were like, what, when, where? Yes, but he was on the broadcast. And he's, uh, he's pro Time Lord, said Lob Williams is a uh, garbage. Not gonna belittle the point, but clearly Time Lord is cool. Um, more respect, by the way, infinitely cooler than Danny Ainge. Oh yeah, you know, just Danny Ainge has never been cool. No, like he's very good at his job, but that doesn't very mean you're good cool. At his job. Absolutely, an amazing basketball player, an amazing athlete, by the way, two sport athlete. But I think like, he falls into the Tom Brady uh, area of Tom Brady's not very cool, in my opinion. No, kind of a geek, kind of a weird dude. Yeah, definitely a weird dude. Overly competitive. They're kind of in the same mold. Yeah, of totally. Just like, uh, ruthless. Okay, so yeah. Yeah. Um, here I have uh, Rob Loves Jumping. Um, <laughs> I heard fans yelling Time Lord after he did things, which just brings us to your face. That was fantastic. End of the half, Gordon Hayward in transition hit Marcus Smart uh, for a buzzer beater three. I was just very impressed with Hayward being aggressive and just like having the presence of mind to hit Marcus Smart with enough time to take the shot. I think Hayward's at his best when he's in transition. I thought that was a cool moment. Uh, Kyrie... Trying to draw a foul and just knocking down a three—it's always fun to see. <laughs> that I think that was on the new uh, the new ref that he had problems with. Uh, they, the Celtics to go along with their crazy passing were just throwing balls to Tice that like were designed for Robert Williams. It's like they yeah. they couldn't adjust, but just a number of times they just threw threw it up to Tice or Tatum and they just like couldn't really finish around the rim. It was mildly frustrating. Um, another delay of game, technical foul. Just to note that for the record, never books, see those. We've seen two, two of them. Uh, Andre, I mean, DeAndre Ayton's shot is ugly. He took <laughs> one, like, elbow jumper and was just like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kyrie dribbling in traffic. He had one cool play where he just does the super low dribble between two guys. It's always cool. Yeah. It's always like, uh, I, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's always fun to see him do things you can't do. And then finally, just, um, full night of just kids doing weird Fortnite dances on the Jumbotron. <laughs> And um, I'm is not, that where all those dances come yeah. from? And so I'm not really a fan of Fortnite, but I'm a fan of just uh, the kids just going ham on the dumb jumbotron dancing. So if that's what Fortnite's lead to, I uh, jam approves. I want to just say that whatever it is, I'm glad that is eliminating the flossing. I am so anti flossing dance now. I am so sick of that thing. Like at first, it was like, ah, oh, whatever. It's the kids. That, but now, but everybody did it. You, it's not even really a dance. You, you're not even moving your feet. You're just standing there swaying back and forth in your arms. I was like, but after a few games watching every kid on the Jumbotron do the flossing thing, I was like, please, somebody do something else. We are officially an anti-flossing podcast. Yeah. I can say that for here uh, and moving forward. And there was a guy who dabbed on the Jumbotron. I thought, yeah. I said, that was, uh, like, oh, Jam will like that. I did. And then my final junk drawer piece, I heard a little nugget of J. King history uh, today in the media room. I'm going to let him tell the story, but just next time he's on the pod, both one of us has to remind him of uh, the two missed free throws in the state championship game. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. 
I didn't know where this was going, but that feels like a dark place, he, man. He says he's still not over it, but I'm going to let Jay King tell the story himself. Oh. That's a tease for that next That is episode. a tease. I, I'm going to come back for that. I hope you guys do, too. I hope you subscribe so you can get this directly into your feed, whatever you use to get your podcast, whatever podcatcher. We're everywhere. So subscribe to hear that story the next time it is told. And, of course, give us a five-star rating. Give us a good review and share the podcast. Spread the word. Tell everybody to listen to the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.